Hello, everyone, and welcome to For the Good of the Game, a unique football podcast dedicated to providing football insights and life skills as shared personally by NFL alumni. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Hey, good afternoon, guys. It's John Davis coming to you with another episode of For the Good of the Game. We are really excited today to have Dale Hellestray with us. Dale's a Phoenix native. He actually grew up here and played football at Saguaro High School and uh, was an All-State selection in football and basketball as a senior. And then after high school, spent a year as the, in, at Marine Military Academy before becoming a scholarship athlete at Southern Methodist University, SMU, in Dallas. He was uh, an All-Southwest Conference honor as a senior, honoree as a senior while he was at SMU, and ultimately he was drafted by the Buffalo Bills in 1985 and ultimately played for the Bills, the Los Angeles Raiders, the Dallas Cowboys, and Baltimore Ravens prior to his retirement. Now, Dale spent uh, the, the majority of his career as a long snapper, but he is uh, distinctly qualified and did, in fact, uh, play almost every position on the offensive line at some point or another. And coming out of college as a tackle anyway, uh, it was well suited to do that, which was a huge advantage with the teams he played for. So first of all, Dale, I want to say thanks very much. I really appreciate you being here. Um, it's, it's other than the lunch we had about a month ago, it's been a while. Uh, our roots kind of go back to uh, working together at Football University and doing camps for young people, which is awesome. Um, I want to kind of uh, start uh, at the beginning, as they say, and talk a little bit about, uh, since we're here in, in the wonderful city of Phoenix and and you know, having grown up here, um, you know, starting back in high school and then progressing on as you went through your uh, SMU years and prior to, just prior to actually getting into the NFL, what type of experiences do you feel either starting in youth football or in high school or at whatever level were most valuable to you as a young person as you went forward coming up to that point where you went into the NFL in terms of lessons learned in the game of football? Wow, I mean that's a, that's a wide-ranging question. I mean, I think you learn so much through sports of any kind. Uh, football, more you know, the physicality part of it. How do you overcome pain and injuries, things like that? Uh, my favorite sport growing up was basketball because it was less pain and less injury. <laughs> Plus, it was played indoors and in, in Arizona, and I was actually better at it through high school. Um, but, you know, the lessons you, you learn in football, obviously, as a lineman, uh, teamwork, you know, being humble, uh, fighting for a common goal. You know, a lot of things that you find as you get older, uh, that's a big part of success, uh, no matter what walk of life you go into. Um, you mentioned me being a long snapper. That's another thing as far as humbleness in my mind, the fact that, I was probably the only combination eight-year-old quarterback, middle linebacker, long snapper. Because uh, when I was eight playing boys club football, got to be fourth down, and the coach said, just throw a pass between your legs. Little did I know that I would do it till I was almost 40 years old. That's crazy. Um, but I look back on it, I'm like, uh, in Arizona, uh, I, I, I kind of convey it and, and, and look at the same as a catcher in baseball. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to be a catcher in Arizona in the summertime in baseball. That equipment, 110 degrees, uh, I want to play this position, that position. Uh, then you find out, oh, if I'm a good defensive catcher, I don't have to hit 320 or 400 in high school to, to get a scholarship, things like that. Um, and that, to, in today's day and age, back when I was coming through, 
long snapping was a nice thing. Okay, well, you could do that too, great. But now there's at least a handful, if not more, kids just here in the state of Arizona that get full ride scholarships just to long snap. Just to long snap. And guess what? They can't line up over you. They can't touch you. They can't breathe on you. It, it kind of frustrates me sometimes. I think my body would feel better if I was playing it in today's game. I, I that's that's unique because I played catcher in, in little league and uh, I stopped playing baseball in high school. But I I focused on football and track. But as a little league catcher, it was exactly that. And my youngest son went on to do the same thing. And we always used to joke about the nickname being the tools of ignorance. Yep. Um, but so that evolution has really brought it to where long snapping now is as opposed to being maybe a talent back in the day, now it is a skill set, a defined, sought-after skill set in terms of consistency for the special teams game. Every every level I was on, they're like, you know, you go through your first week to 10 days of practice, and that's like, okay, well, who can long snap? And, and that was in high school. That was in college. Uh, when I got to the NFL, special teams, Buffalo Bills, the running backs coach was our – was our punt team coach. The defensive line coach uh, did the punt return team. Uh, there, there was not a whole lot of focus on it. And then as the years have gone by, it's become huge at all levels. And so uh, when I when I look at the game today and I look at the high school kids, you know, you used to have to be a big dude because they'd line up four guys in the middle and try and run you over and block the field goal or at sure. least intimidate you so that you might have a bad snap. And nowadays, I get, you know, I, I broadcast football games on the radio, and every once in a while I'll see a flag, and I'm like, nothing happened there. And they'll say, unsportsmanlike conduct, 15 yards, roughing the center. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Roughing the center? They can't even breathe on you for crying <laughs> oh, out loud. That's funny. Yeah. That is funny. When you, when you were, uh, it, it, what, I want to come back to that part of that, that evolution piece here in a minute, because I want to get back to the scholarship part. But when you were, this stuck in my mind a minute ago. When you were coming out of high school and you did a year at the uh, military, uh, Marine Military Academy, um, uh, what led to, at that time, at that specific point in time, going to SMU and them seeking you out being from Phoenix? I mean, was that one of many possibilities or was it more of a, the, the limitation and you wanted to go to SMU for a specific reason? What, what drew you to them? Well, I went to the Marine Military Academy because out of high school, I accepted an appointment to the Naval Academy. Oh, awesome. Had an appointment with the Naval Academy. And um, they looked at my transcripts, and I had decent grades, but I didn't take any accelerated courses. And they said it would probably make it a little easier transition if you got a little more math and a little more science, um, plus kind of a quasi-redshirt year. Um, because I was 6'4", 220 pounds coming out of high school. So they sent me to this prep school and uh, athletically had a fantastic time. Um, Figured out a way to get through the military part of it, um, but realized as, you know, I'm an 18-year-old kid. You go to an academy. It's four years of school. It's a five-year commitment after. At 18 years old, I didn't know if I was going to be alive at 27. I mean... That's like about half my life already Sure. again. And so I got a little bit of cold feet about going to the Naval Academy. And I obviously got bigger and stronger and faster. And so I got recruited by a bunch of Southwest Conference schools sure. and ended up choosing 
SMU. Well, you know, being I, I played high school ball in the Dallas area, my, and I actually grew up in that area. So I've been, in fact, we we played, uh, we used to scrimmage um, uh, Highland Park High School, mm-hmm. right next door to SMU, and uh, I, so I've been on the campus and stuff. And Gordy's camp, several guys I played high school ball with went there. Uh, so it's it's certainly a great program. Has had periods of being truly great, mm-hmm. um, and and at least one period where it wasn't so great. But uh, I think that's awesome. That was, and it's not necessarily um, every day that uh, you know you have a laundry list of guys coming out of SMU getting drafted into the NFL. Um, had you at that time kind of been able to, in terms of your growth and maturity, both as a man and as a football player and athlete, had you kind of blossomed a little bit in that role and 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 that you think that's what got you the limelight as far as being drafted you know a lot of people ask me did you go to smu for the express intent to go to the nfl and i didn't i mean i didn't i didn't think i i didn't even think about the nfl until my junior year mm-hmm. uh, back then they would actually still send you letters and you'd get letters from these nfl teams hey you know good luck your senior year got our eye on you we'll be in touch and contact and all that and and uh, that's when it started to get into my head a little bit and talking to the offensive line coach who said yeah you're you're going to be drafted man just a matter of how high and and things like that depending on your season so that's when I first started getting excited about the NFL I really hadn't thought about it I wanted to get my degree and um, I love Dallas Dallas is a is a great city there's so much going on sure and all that so um and the whole draft story was was phenomenal when i look back on it because you know they have these draft projections mm-hmm. i was supposed to go second or third round well back then they only televised the first round on espn so after the first round got done and i didn't watch any of the first round because i knew i wasn't gonna be drafted in the first round um but then time was going by time was going by and you're like you know, are they in the second round? Are they in the tenth round? You don't know where they are, and and um, get a phone call, quite a few phone calls in between from friends and family, and you know, get off the phone because there wasn't call waiting back then. <laughs> uh, and uh, I, I get a call from the Buffalo Bills, and back then there were people who would not sign with the Buffalo Bills because they were not a good organization. And uh, I remember the general manager Bill Polian. Uh, saying we're going to take you the next pick and I said what round are you guys in he said we're towards the end of the fourth round I'm like because he asked do you have any issues playing for us and wow. I said what round are you in and towards the end of the fourth I have no issues playing for you because who knows where you're drafted but fast forward about s- what it, what was it eight years um, get to Dallas I know the training staff very well get to be friends with them one day sit down and with them and they go hey you want to look at your combine packet i'm like yeah that'd be cool because you don't because a player back at least back then we never you know how fast you ran the 40 you didn't know the the medical checkups anything like that and they get my thing out and open it up and there's a big red x through it and i'm like what is that and they're like oh you were red flagged and i go what do you mean you're you were red flagged and said uh they look through it said your back you have a bad lower back thing called spondylolisthesis he said i bet you half the half the league red flagged you which is why you probably slipped from the second or third round to the fourth round and the bills took a chance on you and 
and all that. And so it's just, it's fascinating to me, you know, all these draft projections and experts and all that. The biggest thing is nobody knows the medicals except for the teams. Interesting. And it can knock you down or build you up or anything like that. So the, the, the caveat to that story is there were 28 teams back then, so there were four team doctors in each room. Start off with room one. There were four guys that pushed, pulled, prodded any injury you've had in your life. Mm-hmm. And I made it through six rooms. I knew I had spinal season. I didn't think it would affect my draft status. But I knew probably, hopefully, nobody would know. Get to the seventh room. They do all the stuff. I get up, and you're walking around in little skimpy gray shorts. And that's it. Mm-hmm. And um, as I'm getting ready to, to leave the room, the Chicago Bears team doctor, uh, big red nose, grumpy, uh, says, hey, hell, straight, bend over and touch your toes. So I bend over. He runs, rubs his hand over my lower back. He goes, we need to get an X-ray on that. Well, that X-ray goes to all 2018. Yeah. And that's okay. when it was discovered. So the truth. So I hold out. a grudge against the Bears forever and ever and ever. <laughs> that's great. I, uh, I. At what point in time, as you live through this, and I think this is relevant from the standpoint that there's so much hype nowadays with younger kids. You get, uh, I've talked about this with several other coaches, and, and you know, you get a kid that, that either because he is maturing faster than everyone else or because he just has exceptional genes is just that much more talented than everybody else, starts to get a lot of hype, and let's say he's in middle school, junior high. And he gets to high school, and all of a sudden, now he starts to believe that hype. And that can be as much of a distraction and bad thing for coaches as it, as it is for the athlete them, themselves. But at what point in time, you said you hadn't even thought about maybe going to the NFL until your junior year at SMU. D- did anybody else ever mention to you that as a possibility? Anybody ever talk to you about, hey, you know, you, you big guy, you got some talent, maybe you ought to think about playing at the highest level. Or was that always just, I'm loving the game and that's what I'm going to stick with for right now, take what comes? Well, to me, it's kind of fascinating because I, I, I work with younger kids now, whether it's in camps or coaching at a small high school in Arizona or covering high school football on TV. Um, first of all, for me, as a freshman at Swore High School, back then I think uh, there were, what was it, 750 in our graduating class and quick math, that's about 3,000 kids at the school. Uh, we had varsity, we had a JV team, a junior team, two freshman teams. Um, well, I show up on campus and I'm Five nine, one hundred and thirty pounds. Wow. Um, no underarm hair. Uh, couldn't shave to, s- to save my life. And I'm looking at these other offensive linemen who are six one, six two, six foot, two o five, two ten, two fifteen. Can grow beards, underarm hair. You know, and you're intimidated. Well, by the time we were seniors, they were still six foot, six one, two o five, because they had they had blossomed as seventh and eighth graders right yeah. you know and and so you sit there and look at some of those things where these kids get built up in middle school you know through their club teams and because they're physically more dominant than other kids but I've just come to learn I always look at a kid's feet what what shoe size do you have and I do you have any facial hair baby face big feet 
that's a, that's the kind of kid that I like. That's you, an offensive lineman yeah, material. Because, because you know he's going to grow. <laughs> and uh, you you show up as an eighth grader and you got a beard and uh, you got size eleven feet and you want to be an offensive lineman. Probably not going to work. You can enjoy your first couple of years of high school. Well, it's it's interesting that it it's that way. I can remember at one point, you know, for instance, in the, the All American Youth Game. Um, it, it was Canada versus you know the U.S. and we had a kid there from. Uh, he was a Samoan born kid, but he was a kid from the islands who was as a 13 year old eighth grader was like six foot seven, two eighty, and, and and now. He dominated that game, and I'm sure did great in high school. And I don't know, honestly, know where he went in college. I didn't keep up with him, um, but you know, you you definitely see the share of both sides of the story: the kids that mature very quickly and are studs early, and the ones that you would think, nah, you know, that end up being studs down the road. Um, I wanted to I wanted to get at something, uh, and, and this is kind of a, more of an opinion question. And I don't know how much you've been following it, or if you've maybe discussed it on your radio show at all. If you guys do sports uh, regularly, but. You know, California, about a month ago, the House and Senate passed a bill and the governor signed into law a new bill that students that attend, athletes specifically that attend California colleges, uh, can now, starting in 2023, can now receive compensation for their name, likeness, and so on. Now, don't necessarily project that that's going to end up in endorsement deals, but it's it started something with the NCAA now switching, flipping their position, saying, yeah, we're going to go ahead and allow this. Don't know when it's going to, we got to take a look at it, develop the rules. Um, just as a guy that came out of Saguaro High School here in Phoenix, goes to SMU, plays in the NFL for a number of years, very successfully, I might add, um, you know, what are your thoughts on that? And, and what's the good and bad, the pros and cons of, of what, from your perspective, having lived through that life, and, and what do you think could happen? Well, you're probably asking the wrong guy because anybody who's watching this, if they look back at SMU, if you watch the 30 for 30, it's 1981 to 1984. It's called Pony Excess. Yes. Those are my four years at SMU. Um, so some people will say that I kind of lived through what, they, what they're trying to do. Uh, some guys got money. Uh, the better you were, uh, you tended to get more. Um, I'm not saying I ever did. I'm not saying I never didn't, but I'm not saying I did. Um, I just think it's, you open up, and I'm all for athletes getting as much as they can. Um, I know at SMU that that uh, I didn't have a car. You know, and a lot of us athletes, we didn't have cars. So it's like, you want to go on a date? Yeah, a, a pretty girl was obviously important, but the looks took a little step down if they had transportation because <laughs> they didn't have a car, you know? So um, I know that there's kids who struggle. Just, yeah, you have a scholarship and you get two meals a day and, and all that, but there is other things that go on in college. Sure. And, and so I, I understand that part of it. I just don't know how they're going to, going to quote, unquote, regulate it. Yeah. Um, if you're going to tell me it's endorsement deals, that means the quarterback will be able to get some stuff. It's maybe a star wide receiver will get some stuff or a running back, maybe a defensive guy. There's not going to be any card shops or whatever that are going to say, hey, I want your starting left guard to come sign autographs for a certain amount of money. So I'm kind of anxious to see how they figure this whole thing out. I'm all for the players getting more and as much as they can because in my mind, if you're telling me that the Alabama football program is bringing in over $100 million, 
Okay. Well, maybe share some of that with the, with the guys Absolutely. who are who are putting out the blood, sweat, and tears. Absolutely. I uh, I think it's a it's a unique opportunity, but I've made the comment before. I believe it's going to bring out a lot of the wolves in sheep's clothing with guys trying to prey on either parents and or athletes. And I think it could create a dynamic that's going to be exceptionally hard to police. I'm, I'm with you. I'm all for it. And what a lot of people, I think, don't realize is, is the more full scholarship athletes you speak to, whether it's at a major college or not, but certainly in the major programs, just because a person's on a, quote, full ride doesn't necessarily mean that they have carte blanche and everything they need. I know a lot of guys that went through scholarship years in major schools that still struggled, you know, to do what they wanted to do in every aspect. And it, it's... It is what it is. I mean, we'll see where it goes. I'm like you, though. I, I really do believe that uh, it'll be a good thing. I want to go back kind of to the uh, the start of your pro career. Um, you get drafted by the Bills, and I'd like you to talk a little bit. And there's a specific I, – I, I love stories that involve struggle. You know, very few of us put on helmet and shoulder pads when we were younger and said, wow – you know, I always dreamed about playing a game that's hot, sweaty, where I gotta, I, I, I'm probably going to get hurt periodically. I love to play in hot weather and grind it out and sweat. And, you know, I, I mean, football is hard. And you have to develop a love for it, I think, early to be able to continue to enjoy that process as you develop. When you got to the Bills, uh, you dealt with some injuries uh, in, at the early part of your career. And I thought that I'd like to let you talk through that from your perspective, from uh, going from the Bills to the Raiders for a year, and then ultimately experiencing uh, what some would argue with three Super Bowl rings, quite a bit of success with the Cowboys over an 11-year period, when your career may not have started out being, you know, what everybody thought, you know, anybody should be, a, a grandiose success when you have little minors, and particularly as a lineman and as a long snapper, you know, uh, with the thumb and wrist and all that kind of stuff. Talk to that a little bit. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, through – boys club to pop Warner to high school through SMU I, th I I think I missed two games wow through all that that's consistency um and I in my sophomore year at SMU I missed two maybe three games because of calf things so I didn't no injuries obviously you see guys get hurt and but never happened to me so I make the bills as a rookie long snapper backup offensive lineman uh and Fourth game, something happened, and I uh, T-fractured my thumb. And so what that means is that the, the big joint on your thumb, there's a T-fracture through it, and if, you, if somebody hits the tip of it, that joint will shatter, and they can't put it back together, so you can't play. So now I'm missing multiple games for the first time in my career. Okay, well, you come back, still a young guy, come back the following year, Second or third game, maybe the fourth game of the year. It's kind of a funny story. Uh, get rolled over on a, a field goal attempt. I'm going to be a smart guy. There's four guys that are 280 to 300 pounds. I'm going to break my fall. So I put my left arm down to break my fall. Well, I broke my navicular bone. The funniest thing about that is later that game, continue to try and play, try to snap, tape, as tight as I possibly can. One of my only bad snaps in my career went over the punter's head. Uh, came over the sidelines, special teams coach said, what's the matter? Said, I don't think I can do it. My wrist is killing me. And he looked at me and said, that better be broke. But he didn't say it in such kind words. 
And so I remember getting on the plane to fly home and looking at my wrist going, do I want you to be broke or not? And Well, it ended up being broke, so I had an excuse. Uh, then the following year come back, just cutting a guy in a game, falls on my back, blew, blew my back out. So three, my first three years missed significant time. Come back my fourth year, last year my contract, have a really good year. Uh, we go to the AFC Championship game, think you're on a roll now. And then I get exposed to free agency, go with the Raiders, like the third third. Uh, practice, didn't even play a preseason game, stick my foot in the ground, get twisted around, spiral fracture of uh, my fibula, and total dislocation of my ankle. Missed the entire year. So now it's, you know, you're sitting down with your wife and going, you know, maybe it's just not meant to be. You know, a couple, th- there's a bunch of things had to come into, into, into focus, and it's like, if you're the team, how many more times are you going to bring this guy back? Sure. Because yeah, I'm sure that I had the reputation of being injury prone you know it wasn't it wasn't a toughness factor I mean they were all they were broken bones it's not like oh you know there's a little bit of pain here can you fight through it um, and so come back the following year and have a pretty good training camp and get traded to the Cowboys and what's kind of amazing to me as I look back I still maintain the reason the Cowboys let me go in 2000 along with four or five other older guys was because I think I played 178 or 179 straight games mm-hmm. for the Cowboys, and I was about eight behind Bob Lilly, who's Mr. Cowboy. Absolutely. And if they'd have probably back for another year, I'd have passed him. They did not want to see Dale Hellestray as the most consecutive game played in Cowboys history. They so, couldn't stand that. So you're welcome, Bob Lilly. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> I, I'll acquiesce to you. So, you know, just overcoming all those things and, and, and finding a way – um, you know, through your faith and through everything that's like you start to question. And I, you know, there's some people have to do that as high school kids sure. or college kids. Um, I guess thankful I didn't have to do that until I was a little bit of a grown up. You know, it's interesting you bring that up because I know uh, Sony Michelle, who now has enjoyed a, a fairly, albeit short, a fairly early career with the New England Patriots came out of Georgia, and he was in the league that was uh, used to be managed uh, by a guy that we both know, Eric Richards, right. with FBU. And uh, and Sony was one that I believe, if I remember correctly, he, he messed his knee up. I want to say ACL, MCL, one of the, when he was in high school. And so for, for all those athletes out there, as opposed to 20 or 30 or 40 years ago when some of us played, um, nowadays you can have a little more major injury and medical technology is such that you may still be able to continue doesn't necessarily mean i'm promoting that that's a decision the family and the doctors and all that have to make but it it does not necessarily mean i mean nick chubb you know is another one but a running back blew his knee out and comes back and is having a, a decent career um so it's it's one of those things i think that the more important lesson learned and um and where i get into really more uh admiration for guys that have been through what you do is because I, I albeit only through two years of college ball but from the time I was in third grade through that college experience I played football every year and knowing that grind and understanding it and playing football in South Texas when I was in college and you know similar to being here in Arizona with regard to the temperature um, it, it gives it gives me uh, pause for even having more respect at your grit and your tenacity to stick through those injuries when a lot of people would have said, you know what, 
it, maybe it just wasn't meant to be. I mean, this is four years. I want to play at the highest level. But when you juxtapose that with, okay, well, what do I do now to support my family and all that kind of thing? And, and I'm sure there's a little bit of pride involved as well. How did that play into when you got with the Cowboys and started a very long, successful 11-year run with them? How did that play into looking back on that now each year that you went forward with the Cowboys as far as your, your approach to football? Well, obviously, a few things came together. One, uh, I went to school in Dallas, so had friendships there and things like that. I was married. My wife, obviously, was in Dallas with us. Well, what a lot of people don't or didn't realize is the fact that I got traded there the summer after they went 1-15. and And everybody in the National Football League was saying, Jimmy and Jerry don't know their head from their butt. And they're training in Austin. And with the Raiders, we're training in Oxnard, where you have to wear sweats to break a sweat. In Austin, it's 100 degrees with 70% humidity, and you're reading about guys passing out and things like that. Um, so when I first got traded there, I had no clue. Thought Jimmy Johnson, I think he ended up making over 70 trades in his uh, in his tenure there, and I was just another trade so you am I going to be there a day a week a month you know who knows um especially with my injury history um and then I, you know, I was just blessed from that point on I didn't re- obviously there were injuries but nothing that made me miss games mm-hmm. um you saw a team that uh fought through a one and 15 season a seven and nine season to all of a sudden bam we're in the playoffs and the next year we're in a super win a super bowl and it's like it it hap- it seems like it happened so quick, but there was so there was so much hard work that went on, um, that you look back on and you go, wow. So that's how it happened. Um, you know, a lot of people tell tell us well, you guys were the most talented team of the '90s or that era or whatever. And I'm like, you gotta remember the 49ers were really good, the Redskins were really good, the Giants were. There are a lot of good football teams. But the one thing I will always walk away from is anybody who got traded to the Cowboys or came as a free agent or whatever, a, a veteran guy would say, I've never seen a team work harder, hmm. practice harder, and work harder. And that was because our three best guys, Troy, Michael, and Emmett, were our three hardest working guys. Uh, if you know Michael Irvin to this day is one of my best friends. Played 17 years in the NFL. I did four years of college, four years of high school. Never seen a guy work harder than Michael Irvin or have a bigger heart for the game um, or his teammates. And so it's just a special blend of guys. And then I just got on a roll. And obviously I played less. I was just snapping. Right. um, Which might have contributed to that too. And, uh, you know, 180 games later, I was still standing. You know, I think it's unique, though, and, and, and notable uh, for the purpose of what we're doing here to talk about the fact that, um, you know, there, there are advantages when you have a guy who has the talent and the skill, or in this case, we'll say by that time it evolved just to skill, um, to consistently deliver the ball on special teams when you need it to and, and be reliable enough that it's never an issue So many on so many levels, even in the NFL. There are teams where it's always a crapshoot. Is the ball going to end up where it needs to be? And, uh, and oh, by the way, someone that has the experience and smarts to be able to walk in and play every other position on the line if need be. And that gives the team a huge advantage, you know, from a roster standpoint, uh, which, you know, I, I think 
certainly served the Cowboys well during your tenure there. So I wanted to uh, I wanted, uh, kind of get at something that uh, I've, I, I want to ask each of the interviewees, and, and it's, it's really about the game of football in general. But as you came up from youth league up through all the way up to and including the NFL, um, what do you think in terms of when you look back on your career, were there any either defining moments or individuals maybe that influenced at a critical point in your career uh, the way you approach things? Or did you stay pretty consistent with a grounded set of rules or goals throughout your football career that kept you going? You know, I, I think there were some, some coaches in Pop Warner who um, could, could kind of put me in the, in the right direction. I think uh, probably one of the biggest influences was my high school coach, uh, Bob Keller. Still friends with him to today because he was a guy who told we had an All American quarterback. One of them, still my best friend, time we were eight years old to today. Um, in fact, he's trying to get a 50 year anniversary party together of our friendship, which sounds kind of weird, but if you knew him, you would understand. Um, but Bob Keller took a, coaches would come to see him, one of the first parade magazine All American quarterbacks and he ended up going to Notre Dame but a ton of schools can't see him and he talked me up and that's how I ended up getting on some people's radar if he doesn't do that I don't know what happens um, I don't know what happens if I don't play basketball hmm. um, I love basketball I, I I don't think I was a good enough football player to be recruited division one unless you saw me play basketball and go he's an athlete mm-hmm. um, and and you see Believe it or not, at one point I was skinny. Like I, I literally looked at my mom at one point when I was trying to put on weight and said, I'm tired of eating. And boy, do I rue that day. <laughs> because I drive I drive down the road now and just smell McDonald's or something and go, oh, that smells good. Five pounds. I didn't even get to eat it. I didn't get to eat it. My, my metabolism's gone. Um, and so as, as, I, as I look at people who had an influence on on me and my life those are two at a young age um and then there's probably one experience i and i I tell my kids that i coach the fact that uh as i you i told you i better basketball player yes sir Uh, we make it to the state quarterfinals my senior year in basketball um i go out and i have the first half of my life i think i have 24 points and 10 rebounds and we're up by about 10 with a minute left in the half. I'm kind of tired. I'm not exhausted. But I could just raise my hand and coach would take me out. I did that. Maybe a little tired, but if I can be honest with myself, I just want to hear people cheer for me. First half of my life. Come out, sit down. Uh, we go in. We had a 10-point lead. When I walked out, we had a one-point lead at halftime. We ended up losing the game by two points. My high school career was over, and you don't. And what I tell my kids is, understand something, guys. I got to play four years of college. Got to play seventeen years in the NFL. That's twenty-one years. I can tell you more about that game than I can the three Super Bowls. Pick an NFL game that I played in, whether it's an AFC championship, NFC. I can tell you more about that game in nineteen eighty than I can of anything that's happened since. So. Um, a learning moment for me 
Um, and then in college, I don't think there was anybody that had a, a dramatic impact on me. But I find out, like, after the fact, like my offensive line coach in Buffalo, Jim Ringo, a crusty old Hall of Fame center that used to play with Green Bay. You know, I, I find out when I leave Buffalo about 10 years later that when I was walking out as a rookie to my second or third practice, Jim Ringo was talking to one of the veteran guys and said, that kid's going to play for a long time. Gosh, I wish he would have told me that. <laughs> I, I didn't know if I was going to play another day. So, anyway, all those names and faces come flooding back. That's interesting. I I, uh, I think that everybody has somewhat of a defining moment, and it's always um, – it, it's actually kind of uh, uh, encouraging, I guess, is maybe the word that comes to mind – to hear someone that enjoyed your level of success, and certainly anybody that plays in, in the NFL for 17 years, it, because you know, obviously most people joke about the fact that it stands for not for long, because right. I think the average lifespan right now is about 3.4 years. Um, you know, it's it, you don't get there with certainly without talent, but more than anything, it's about hard work. And to be, reflect back on that one game in 1980 and think, wow, you know. It, it, it's and that's not necessarily a positive memory, but one that certainly can spur you on to other things. Mm -hmm. That's that's a great learning experience. I wanted to uh, I've got one other question we'll end with, but I do a little thing here that I try to do with each of the interviews called the two minute drill. And it's it's just eight unrelated questions there. Some are football, some aren't. And it's nothing uh, super personal here, just uh, off the top of your head kind of stuff. And, and to get a little flavor of where you where you stand. Um, what would be, if you have one, your favorite youth sports memory in any sport? Youth sports memory. Um, probably winning a boys club state championship uh, at eight years old. Got to play against everybody around the state of Arizona and won that championship. That's kind of cool. That or scoring a touchdown as a defensive lineman in Pop Warner. Flip, flip a coin. Okay, okay. I love that. I love that. It's uh, I, I, I had a young uh, uh, flag football team on Fort Knox when I, or Fort, yeah, when I was on active duty, and, and they went undefeated. And the parents kind of joke, yeah, this is like seven- and nine-year-old flag football. I said, parents, when you're playing against your peers at any age, being undefeated is an achievement, so don't knock it. You and know? you'll remember it. Absolutely. They will. Absolutely. Favorite play, if you have one from your college career at SMU? Was there something that sticks out in your mind? You know, as an offensive lineman, I don't know if you can pick out a, a, a favorite play. I can pick out a favorite moment. It was my last game. Uh, we were playing Notre Dame in the Aloha Bowl. My best friend that I told you about was on the other sidelines. Oh, that's cool. And we ended up – obviously, we had a great week together, uh, but we ended up winning 27-20. to 20, And um, that just that lasting memory, plus now for – 35 years I've been able to just look at him and he knows that I own him. <laughs> I love it. Favorite non-football activity you, you enjoy nowadays? Uh, I love to golf. Um, I used to golf three or four times a day. Now when I golf, I feel like I just played a football game. <laughs> so my golfing uh, has cut down to maybe once a week, but I certainly love to do it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, if you have one that you could isolate, and certainly not going to limit you to one, is there somebody that sticks out in your mind as, as a best NFL teammate? And I think I, you may have already talked about it. I would have to say Michael Irvin. I mean, just because of the journey that uh, him and I have been on, the fact that 
when I got traded there in 1990, you know, if you'd have said, hey, are you going to talk to Michael Irvin? Well, I know Michael Irvin from his University of Miami days sure. and the fatigues and the loudness and all that. I didn't know Michael Irvin, the teammate. And um, it even, you know, so then we got to know each other a little bit and we became kind of friendly. Then I come in the locker room, like on Tuesdays, uh, my daughters liked to go there when they were eight and five and they could get gum from the equipment guys and wristbands and their favorite thing to do was our, the pop machine, the Gatorade machine. You could just push the button and something came out and you didn't have to put money in it, which they <laughs> thought was unbelievable. And uh, and there's I'll never forget one Tuesday, uh, I think I went to the bathroom and so they were standing there at my locker and I come out and there's Michael Irvin talking to them. He just got done working out and um, he has them calling him Uncle Michael. And and I'm looking at him, and he knows that he's getting my goat a little bit. And he's like, because this is back when he had some issues. And uh, he said, if you guys ever need anything, if you're ever in trouble, you give Uncle Michael a call. I'll be there for you. And I look at him and go, Michael, they're not going to be in the jail cell next to you unless you get your <laughs> act cleaned up. But to today, my oldest daughter got married uh, this, this past year, and, uh, and Uncle Michael was there. And. That's and, awesome. Uh, so, so it's pretty cool. That's awesome. Well, I certainly enjoyed watching him play. And I, I you know, it, uh, I have a lot of fond memories of games that you played in because we used to, uh, my family grew, I grew up as a Cowboys fan and my family, my mom would make Thanksgiving dinner the night before and we would tailgate in our RV in the parking lot and then go in and watch you guys. But when we had the long run of Thanksgiving Day Redskin Cowboys games when right. Crazy Ray was still around. And, right. and uh, so I, I have a lot of fond memories uh, seeing both you guys play. Uh, favorite movie, if you have one. I don't know if you're no, much of a movie guy. I'm not. I've gotten um, I've gotten ridiculed lately on the radio show because they start talking about Goodfellas and they talk about um, movies that I've I heard of. Like I've never seen a Star Wars, and they say that's sacrilegious to not have seen a Star Wars. I have no interest in seeing a Star Wars. Uh, to me, probably, if you're going to ask me for a movie, I'm going to I'm going to pick like an as good as it gets with Jack Nicholson. Good movie. Or the one um, where Jack Nicholson and Tom Cruise are, and I forget the name of it. Um, it's the the military movie to where oh, Jack, a few good men, a few good men. Yeah. So those are the kind of movies I enjoy. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Um, uh, you may have already talked about this too. Favorite coach or coaches at any level. You know, my junior year, senior year basketball coach in high school is one of my favorite coaches because he's one of the guys who actually made me believe in myself without awesome. him probably even without him probably even knowing it. Um, when I got to Dallas, there's a special teams coach named Joe Avizano, who's unfortunately passed away, but um, a guy who I developed a really close friendship with, along with the offensive line coach Hudson Hauk. You know, we were around each other for 11 years and. I became more friends with them. I'm 37, 38, 39 years old, and you know these 21, 22 year old kids coming. I had more in common with the coaches than I did the young players. Yeah, that, that's and and that's understandable. I, I, obviously, the the really when you look at the span of time in the NFL and the number of guys that ever reach the degree of longevity that you did, which are few and far between, I, I would certainly see that happening, especially with the youth coming into the league today. Um, I, I hate to even ask you, I don't want to, so based on your earlier comment, favorite snack food? Favorite snack food? Probably, well, I'm thinking about like when I go to the movies, 
you know, butter popcorn, a little extra butter, never hurts anything, and junior mints. Oh, and that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, if you have one, a single greatest or maybe top game or whatever, but do you have an, a, a greatest NFL game memory from your career? You know, I, I, I guess probably two of them. One, pregame of our first Super Bowl in Pasadena, um, Jets flying over, realizing that you're actually playing in the Super Bowl, kind of surreal. And then our last Super Bowl was out here. So I, I got to play uh, my junior year in the state semifinal game at, from, at playing Saguaro. We played at Sun Devil Stadium. And then we lost in the state championship game. Um, and now here I am, full circle, getting to play a Super Bowl at Sun Devil Stadium, which was another kind of surreal moment because at the end of the day, our first Super Bowl that was in Pasadena, 92 season, 93 Super Bowl, was supposed to be played here in Arizona, but the Martin Luther King holiday didn't mm-hmm. get passed. So the NFL moved it and never thought there'd be a Super Bowl in Arizona. Obviously, they got that straightened out, and so that's pretty cool. That's neat. That's neat. I want to kind of wrap up with this with this thought. Um, I uh, originally, when we when we were naming the podcast for the good of the game, was going to be a byline, and it just it was pointed out to me that it, it it was more profound than what I had thought through initially. So when you look at your career and you start you know starting that playing pee wee football and moving all the way up through seventeen years in the NFL. And now you look back on, you know, when you're out coaching. I saw some of the kids with the T-shirts on that you put on Facebook, which was awesome. I love that. Um, and you're, you know, you're interacting with those kids at whatever age now, and you you reflect back on those experiences from a for the good of the game kind of perspective. If you're talking to one of them or to the 16-year-old young Dale Hellestray, what are you going to share with an athlete in terms of something that they can sit, stick in their hip pocket and carry with them as they go through their career? Well, I'm going to be bluntly honest, and I don't even know if I'm talking to them. I'm talking to their parents. Interesting. I think parents have interfered with kids, put unfair expectations on them, um, put unfair expectations on coaches. Um, I've just come across too many parents who believe their kids should have a Division One scholarship, and they have no clue what a Division One athlete looks like. Um, if I'm going to be talking... To the kids, I, I just, I always had this thing in my mind. I always envisioned that if I was sitting there watching cartoons on Saturday or doing whatever you do as a high school kid on a Saturday, that the guy I'm going to play against next year or next season, he's out working. He's, he's working out. And I always played mind tricks with myself that I, w- I did not want to be outworked by somebody that I was going against. And I just... You know, I, I think that at the end of the at, at the end of the day, I I, I struggle because you're going to have some people who say um, parents are too soft on kids. I can argue that point too in certain situations, but when it comes to athletics, um, whether it's putting pressure on coaches, whether it's putting pressure on officials, umpires, and the such. Um, there's a lot of things that go on that you'll look back on. Because I, I was never a parent that put pressure on my girls. I wanted them to enjoy the experience. 
but I can't tell you I was a model parent when it came to officials. <laughs> <laughs> Been there, done that. Yeah, and uh, and so that that's the advice that I would would give to to families. And and again, love what you do. I mean, it's so hard to play football if you don't at least like it a lot. Find something else to do. You know, you can play basketball if you don't love it. In my mind, sure. You can play baseball if you don't love it. In my mind, hard to play football if you don't love it. I would agree. That's a great parting shot. Listen, guys, if you uh, if you look up uh, the history of the NFL, you can probably uh, realize very quickly that there's a very short list of people that have played for 17 years. And regardless of the position that they play, regardless of the teams they played for and what those teams achieved in terms of success, you're not going to find too many that have the, the depth and breadth of experience that, that we just talked to Dale about. And I would encourage you, if you're, you know, if you're a, uh, an NFL historian or a fan of the game, um, the Cowboys championships, Super Bowl championships, 27 and 28 and 30, were the three rings that, that Dale wears as a, a teammate in those accomplishments. And uh, I certainly, as, as a Cowboy fan, not that I'm a hater of anybody else, but I mean, I, I grew up that way, I might as well be honest. Um, it, it's, uh, it, it's certainly a thrill for me to have known you for a while, to get back together and catch up a little bit, and to be able to be uh, honored to have you here as, as part of this interview today. So I really appreciate your time. Thank you, you very it. much. Enjoyed awesome. it. You guys have it. take care and remember, if you're going to be out there supporting and promoting the game of football, do it for the good of the game. We'll see you next time. Take care. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thanks for joining us. Please be sure to save this episode to your favorites and subscribe to the podcast.